Hello, and welcome to the APAP podcast. With us today is Rebecca Preet. She's a certified acute care nurse practitioner since 2009. And today she's going to talk to us about interventional pulmonology and how it applies to advanced practice providers. She's currently the lead nurse practitioner in interventional pulmonology at Henry Ford Health in Detroit, Michigan. Rebecca has been instrumental in the development of an inpatient interventional pulmonology consult service, expanding the advanced uh, plural services and initiating a bronchoscopic lung volume reduction program, which is currently the third largest program in the United States. Rebecca will assume the chair position of the American Association of Bronchology and Interventional Pulmonology's Advanced Practice Provider Chapter in 2024. Congratulations. And today she's going to share everything she knows about interventional pulmonology, which I will tell you up until like the last two years, I, I probably was pretty uh, naive to the fact that there were APP subspecializing in this area. So I'm very excited to have you with us and tell us all about it. Um, first, can you tell us a little bit about the background of where interventional pulmonary APPs kind of started? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be here and talk about, you know, my specialty because I love it. Um, yeah, uh, uh, IP became a subspecialty probably about 20, 25 years ago. The fellowship program um, was certified by the ACGME uh, just not, not that long ago, a couple of years ago. And so um, uh, advanced practice providers became a chapter and part of the program about eight to 10 years ago. And so when I first started in IP, I think there was eight of us uh, total within the AABIP and, and people that I had to connect with. Um, and now there's, you know, 60 plus uh, of us all around the United States. And the AABIP is the American Association of Bronchology and Interventional Pulmonology, I'm assuming? Yep. Yep. Right. They, and they certify. Have their own, and they have their own yep. APP chapter. They do. Yep. That, that's yep. awesome. That is so awesome. Yeah. So for anybody listening, if you want to go to their website <laughs> and check it out, if you're doing interventional pulmonology and may not for some reason know about this or want to get into it. Well, speaking of getting into it, how do you how do you get into interventional pulmonology? If you're a a procedural person, and and this sounds like kind of your bag of tricks. How do you get into it? Yeah, um, well, I happened to come about it um, just when I was looking for jobs. Um, I was an ICU nurse practitioner and like, looking to do more procedures, and um, and, and I had come across the posting. But it's such an advanced field now, and it is growing immensely. There's over sixty fellowship programs now um, within the United States, and you know, they are popping up everywhere. Um, interventional pulmonology really encompasses not only just procedures, but programs. So there's lung volume reduction programs uh, that are being started all over the United States looking for uh, coordinators and APPs uh, for those programs. Lung nodules, it's um, uh, including lung cancer screening programs now uh, and big plural programs. And so um, whatever kind of your interest is, um, IP is popping up everywhere. Oh, wow. And now when you say fellowship programs, are those specifically for APPs, for physician fellows, for everyone? Yeah. So physician fellows, um, uh, that's what I was talking about. But there's one APP uh, fellowship program for um, uh, nurse practitioners and physician assistants at uh, uh, Beth Israel. Oh, okay. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. So... Could you describe a little bit the types of procedures that encompass an interventional pulmonary APP? 
Yeah. So it varies between kind of institutions that you go to as far as, you know, what your role is in interventional pulmonology as a advanced practice provider. Um, I, uh, there, uh, Many of my colleagues are doing just, you know, plural programs. So they're doing plural procedures like thoracentesis, thoracic ultrasound, uh, indwelling pleural catheter placement, chest tube placements. Um, and then there are, you know, uh, nurse practitioners that do just airway management. And so, uh, you know, we do uh, assisting in the operating rooms for rigid bronchoscopies and pleuroscopy type procedures. We, um, there is a handful of us that do bronchoscopy and uh, BALs at the bedside and, and assist with um, mostly bedside procedures where, you know, patients are too sick to travel um, to, you know, bronchoscopy suites or endoscopy suites for their procedure. And so, you know, we're being uptrained to be able to provide that procedure at the bedside. When you were talking about lung nodule programs, are you guys involved in any of the biopsies for lung nodules or navigational bronchoscopies, that kind of thing? Yeah, we do a lot of first assisting with those uh, robotic navigational uh, biopsies, transbronchial biopsies, uh, radial EBIS and that kind of thing. Yes. Um, and then we help with the processing and stuff. A lot of the time, the advanced practice providers are, you know, essentially running those programs. So they're, you know, meeting with the patients, doing educational seminars, following these patients, seeing them in clinic, uh, you know, monitoring these lung nodules, and then sending them for us uh, biopsies and stuff like that. Okay. Do you guys run into any scope issues with um you so you're in michigan um do you do you run into any issues with scope of practice so it's um it can be challenging you know when we uh there's a handful of us who started doing bronchoscopy and kind of that's not anywhere in anyone's scope of practice or you know um state you know recognized and so um, yeah, you can come into some of those problems, you know, with the support of other nurse practitioners or PAs that have gone through that. You know, we've been able to formulate training programs and processes, you know, to get uh, certification within our institution. Oh, that's nice. So credentialing would really come down to the institution you're at? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the institution, for example, that I'm at for, let's say, bronchoscopy, you know, we have a simulation lab. You have to do, you know, 40 simulated bronchoscopies on the sim, and then you go into the bronch suite and, and you do your airway exams and stuff there and get checked off with whoever your preceptor is there. Some institutions have like, oh, you have to do 50 bronchs in order to be certified, but um, it really is, you know, the practice is changing where it's, you know, whenever you're comfortable and you kind of, you know, mastered, you know, that particular procedure is kind of when you've been you know, signed off and credentialed for it. Does the um, AABPI, <laughs> all the letters, um, do they do they have any type of certification program for you for you guys or um, any type of of a no, not for no, not for APPs. Um, we are working on uh, publishing um, a curriculum training uh, program for advanced practice providers and IP. And so we're just kind of going through the edits for publication still. Um, and then, like I said, uh, uh, Beth Israel um, has uh, a, a fellowship program for 
um, interventional pulmonology and critical care. And so it's a one-year fellowship training program um, that's run by APPs um, and it and encompasses the IP program there. Wow. I think that'd be very re- a great resource for maybe people that aren't doing specifically IP but are working in the ICU and need to have a training curriculum for their APPs that are doing procedures in the ICU. I think that yes. would be a pretty cool crossover tool. Um, so yes. when, do you th- when do you think that might be available? Um, I, hopefully soon, <laughs> in the next couple of months. Um, it should hopefully be published, I hope. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I imagine to get some of these programs going, you have to have a lot of physician support and backing um, to make that happen. Any advice you would give to APPs who are maybe looking, they're doing procedures already, they're looking to advance into um, an, a sole IP role, um, how to make that happen? Yeah, it really is, you know, I, I've been fortunate to find a really good group uh, of physicians um, who've like really took me under their wing uh, as their first nurse practitioner or APP and ever um, to really, you know, uh, give me the autonomy uh, and give me the education I need to be autonomous for them. Um, you know, you can be overworked in any field, especially with IP. You know, you're you work alone a lot of the times uh, with, or just with physicians. Um, and so it is really finding someone who wants to spend the time to uptrain you, uh, round with you, teach you and, you know, give you that that solid time. Yeah, I imagine that is a pretty bonding experience with that physician. Yes. Yeah, a lot yeah. of time with him. Um, so are there issues with billing for Are you billing for your procedures? Do you have a supervising physician that you're billing, like a shared visit through? or? Yeah, so I work in both an inpatient and an outpatient role. So for inpatients, when I see like new inpatient consults, or write progress notes, or do any procedures, I I bill by time instead of medical decision-making. And so um, I bill that by time, and I do. I send it to whatever physician is staffed that day. We kind of review cases verbally. Um, I, you know, I have them see the patients if I feel like it's something that they need to see or I'm concerned about the patient, I'll make them come and see the patient. But it's really building, um, I, you know, I bill autonomously um, by time. And as well as in um, out, the outpatient setting, I um, I have my own half day clinic by myself. There's no physician staff, and so uh, those six patients that I see in an afternoon, um, I do I bill by time, um, and then you know just get that eighty percent billing, uh, which is what our our uh, reimbursement is uh, for NPs. Yeah. Do you um, do procedures in the outpatient setting also, or are you just seeing your follow-up patients? Yeah, I'll do, um, I'll, like, you know, um, I'll get called by oncology that, like, there's a patient in their clinic um, that has an effusion, he's short of breath, it's like a Friday afternoon, and so I'll just go to their clinic and, you know, do procedures just, you know, for good continuity, you know, good patient care um, to try to keep patients out of the hospital. So, yeah, I'll go to clinics or they can come to my clinic as well, um, but it's just easier to go take your stuff with you and go. <laughs> yeah, we we started doing thoracentesis in the clinic about eight, 10 years ago. 
um, when those little tiny GE um, ultrasound machines came out. Oh yeah, you know, so yeah. that we could we could do um, yeah ultrasound in the office, and it was a game changer. And let me tell you, I've never been more popular with the oncologists until I we started doing that. <laughs> I know they love it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They're texting you, calling you. I've got a patient here. Could you just squeeze in a tap today? Of course. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's just easier to go there instead of like bringing them to the Bronx suite or or mm-hmm. something like that. So yeah. But yeah, we do a lot of um, we send a lot of patients home with chest tubes, and so we'll send them home on like an outpatient chest tube, you know, one way device, whether it's a Heimlich or a mini atrium or something. And so I'll do a lot of chest tube management in my clinics um, as far as if it's ready to be removed or, um, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, a lot of it's just thoracentesis or pleural ultrasound. Okay. Are you doing um, outpatient pleural catheters? Yeah, we do that all. um, They come to our bronchoscopy suite. And so, yeah, yeah, we um, in the bronchoscopy suite, I do work with a physician there. And so we have like a plural room and then we have two bronc rooms. And so let's say I'm in the plural room that day, um, you know, they'll come in and like see my spot and, you know, say hi to the patient, that kind of thing. But yeah, we can, um, we, we do those chest tubes, indwelling plural catheters, uh, thoracentesis, all in that plural room. That's pretty neat. I imagine reimbursement for procedures pays a little bit better than just a plain old office visit. Um, do, do you feel like that reflects in your your salary? I mean, do because I don't know if we have any information or if your board within AABIP IP has um, <laughs> yep. if they have information about salary data. But would you say that salary tends to be better or the same as those not doing procedures? Um, I would say it's better um, when I compare my salary to. Uh, other APPs within my institution because I'm a specialty service and it's like considered a procedural surgical service. Um, it's definitely like a tier three uh, as far as pay goes. You know, we we looked at, you know, we use my revenue that what I bring in from my office notes and inpatient notes and procedures, you know, to get more staff. So I had I just had another nurse practitioner start on Monday who is with the IP service. So then it gives us more flex to, you know, me do more clinical research or or stuff like that. Um, we got another coordinator because our BLVR program, you know, blew up. Um, and so uh, we use a lot of that kind of revenue. But I mean, I get a raise every six months. And oh. um, yeah, I, I can't complain. <laughs> and I really enjoy my job. So oh, yeah, that's great. Do you feel when you're in the ICU? I'd like rephrase that. When you're when you're in the ICU doing procedures, are you're not managing the case? Otherwise, you're you're just a specialty service consulted by the critical care service to come in and do procedures. Correct, correct. So we have 120 medical ICU beds in our institution, um, and then we have like 70 surgical ICU beds. Um, our interventional radiology is really small, and so they won't um, br- like let ICU patients travel to them for plural stuff that we can take care of. So, yeah, we have a pretty large like I I probably do about fifty to sixty procedures at the bedside um, every month, um, and just travel to the ICU for it. But yeah, we're just consultants. You know, you try to like stay in. I say stay in your lane <laughs> uh, by just coming in. You know, doing the procedure 
And then, you know, making recommendations if it's pertinent to whatever you're doing uh, as far as, you know, we follow up on cultures. And then if we have to do biopsies at the bedside, you know, we follow the path and make sure they know if the path is back and that kind of stuff. But no, I really, you know, we let the critical care people do their thing. Uh, as far as overall management, we're just, we do our consultant stuff. Okay. Do you ever get involved in um, central lines or lines at all, or is it just mainly chest and pleural procedures? Yeah. Well, I can do them, the art lines and central lines and stuff, because I was an ICU provider, but I try to stick to just the pulmonary stuff uh, at this point. Okay. All right. Any other procedures that we didn't cover that you guys do either inpatient or outpatient? Uh, well, interventional pulmonology itself does like hundreds of procedures uh, as far as, you know, we're the management of advanced airway uh, and pleural disease. And so we do trach placements, exchanges, uh, decannulation. We do all um, management of malignant central airway obstruction. So uh, rigid bronchoscopy with tumor debulking. We use lasers and other forms of thermal ablation. We do airway stenting and tracheal stenting uh, for various issues like tracheal stenosis from intubation traumas. And um, we do bronchial thermoplasty for severe asthma. And then we do valves for not only COPD patients, but for persistent air leaks that, uh, you know, and these are all patients who are non-surgical patients. So they're really sick uh, patients. And then as far as pleural disease, you know, we do similar to what thoracic surgeons do, minus like, you know, VATS type procedure or big decortications. But we do pleuroscopy, pleural biopsies, um, you know, pleurodesis. Um, I'll go to the bedside and do interpleurolytics via chest tube for empyemas um, and, you know, talc or, you know, whatever kind of pleurodesis via chest tube uh, that's, you know, indicated. So, yeah, we do a wide range of things. Um, it's never a boring day, that's for sure. <laughs> it sounds like it. It's and you don't have to get called with all the low potassium issues and and no. everything. Else. <laughs> <Very nice. laughs> Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> well, with yeah, all those true. procedures, there's always risk, right? So do yeah. you you know, a lot of times advanced practice providers are riders on their physician group's malpractice plans. Do you carry your own individual malpractice or do you, is it still just a rider situation? Yeah, I don't carry my own. I had thought about it for a while and had some, uh, especially when I started going to more procedural stuff. Um, and I had, you know, talked with some advisors about it and uh, was advised against it as far as, you know, if you have your own, then you know, they can actually go, um, you know, they can actually go after you as an individual and if you're not on a rider. So um, I'm part of my institutions, my medical groups. Um, and, you know, I, I have been part of a lawsuit um, and I it was great. It was fine. I had really great support from my physicians. And um, uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't have my own. Okay. I was just always wondered that with doing so many procedures, if that was going to be, you yeah. know, a separate issue there. Do you have any favorite yeah. procedures, ones that you really enjoyed doing? You know, I really, um, I've been bronching for probably about the past year, so it's kind of newish. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoy it. It's to the point where, you know, people call you because they know 
year around and you're, you know, you get really good at doing like I can put a chest tube in in about 10 minutes. So you get really good at it. And so I'm doing a lot more teaching now. And like, you know, I'll go to the unit and the fellow will be like, can you teach me how to do a chest tube or, you know, do a thorough while someone's in the bed and not sitting up. And, you know, so it's a lot more, you know, educational now, which I enjoy. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Any resources you would like to share with people listening that maybe want to take a deeper dive into the procedures they're already doing or maybe figure out how to start doing procedures like bronchoscopies? We we introduced that to our APP ICU team um, pretty pretty quickly um, once it was developed um, for bedside, um, yeah. you know, um, ICU management, maybe, you know, for atelectasis or, you know, mucus yeah. plugging and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, not very not. So far, we're not doing anything diagnostic, um, but they were very excited and early adapters to learn that type of information, and they want more. You know, so do you have resources that people could go to to, to take a deeper dive? Yeah, the AABIP, um, you know, the APP chapter. We're a very close knit uh, community because there's not that many of us, so we do do a lot of like uh, education sharing. Um, you know, patient education sharing videos that we've done for patients and that kind of stuff. So it's a great resource. Um, I, you know, your chapter as well has really great resources on there. So we, you know, I've looked at that. Um, and then really, it's just you know because IP is so small or you know procedural people are so small. It is really looking to your mentors, your physician mentors, to kind of help you in the right directions. There's a lot of really good IP online books and uh, resources. Um, but yeah, you just kind of have to, you know, trust your mentor to lead you in the right path. I've been really lucky and a lot of my colleagues have been too. IP, the physicians are amazing. Um, you know, they're very, you know, we use a lot of AI and technology and, you know, we're starting into the cone beam world and uh, cryobiopsies. And so there's so much excitement in the field. Um, they're looking for APPs to join all of their teams. And so I I can see it expanding a lot for advanced practice providers in the next, you know, five years for sure. That's pretty exciting. It's a very exciting time to be in pulmonary in general. You know, new yeah. new medications across the board. If I'm in general pulmonology. And so, you know, we treat it all and it's it's been very exciting um, especially in those lung cancer patients, you know, as well. When when I started a hundred years ago, we didn't have any chemo. We ha- we had nothing. Oh, we had I know. Radiation, lobectomy. <laughs> yeah. Hospice. Uh, SBR, I think SBRT was like a thing. But yeah, I mean, it was like a death sentence. And yeah. now it's like we ca- we can biopsy these nodules that are two millimeters, and like it's curative for these patients. And so yeah. I think these programs are going to be. You know, like standard of care for um, reimbursement for Medicare and Medicaid. I think that's coming down the pipe. I mean, we when we launched our lung cancer screening program, we have seven APPs that were hired to it. We diagnosed 80 new cancers in a month. Oh, wow. And so it's just been like expanding and expanding. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be life changing for patients. I mean, just lo- and then like uh, sleep apnea and central sleep apnea, like, and end stage COPD with now NIVs and AVAPs. And I mean, we didn't have any of that I know. 15, 20 years ago when I started. And so it's, it's crazy. 
yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. A very exciting to be here, and and, and uh, especially as APPs in the field because we're getting noticed. Yeah, industries noticing yes. us, you know that type of thing. So um, yeah. we just we need to get more people involved and passionate like you. And so yeah. I'm I'm so thankful you agreed to come on today and share your information with us, and hopefully we can get others out there to to use those resources um, as as part of APAP. You know, once you have your resources, you know, for onboarding. Um, you know, we would love to share that with our members as well. So um, just yeah, sounds great. Go look at the website. So, well, thank you again, Rebecca. I so appreciate your time of sharing that with us. Thank you for kind of forging the way in this new field and and good luck on your chair position in 24. And we hope thanks. to do some other programs with you. All right. Thanks. <laughs>